Almighty Father, we just said that we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, and with the Father and Son is worshipped and glorified, and that the Spirit is spoken through the prophets. Uh, that is to say, the Spirit is spoken through the Scriptures. And so we ask now, as we consider uh, the Bible, as we consider this reading, that, that you would grant that the Spirit, would, the Spirit who originally spoke it, so to speak, would speak it now, uh, and would speak it in uh, authority, that, that you would give us the reality that we're going to describe. But we don't want to just describe it from afar. We don't want to just uh, have a, a kind of documentary tour of some place we've never been. Uh, but we ask that your spirit would take us to that place that you describe in your word. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Please sit down. Uh, and uh, happy uh, Pentecost, everyone. I don't, somebody, was, Rebecca was asking me what the appropriate uh, greeting is uh, for Pentecost. I don't know. So let's just say happy Pentecost. Does that sound good? We can agree on that? Brilliant. We're just, we're, we're putting that in stone now. Um, it, it, Pentecost is a super important day for Christians. And uh, the reason it's really important is, um, so 50 days after Jesus rose from the dead, uh, the disciples were gathered together. Uh, for prayer. Uh, what had happened is Jesus rose from the dead and then he spent 40 days uh, spending a lot of time with the disciples teaching them. Then uh, he ascended uh, to the Father's right hand, which I know brings up all kinds of questions. We can talk about that later. Bring, ask those questions. But then there's this 10-day gap where the disciples pretty much don't do anything. They do a couple things, make some decisions, but mostly they just sit around and pray and they wait. And they wait and not because they're lazy. Uh, it's not that they're just kind of don't know what to do with themselves. It's rather they're doing exactly what Jesus had asked them to do. Uh, before Jesus ascended, he, he spoke with them and he says, listen, um, I want you to wait around because I'm going to give you a gift. After I leave, I'm going to give you a gift. And it's a super important gift, uh, says Jesus. He, Jesus says, the gift is so important that uh, without it, you're going to be uh, powerless and, and pretty useless in the job that I have given you to do. But with it, when you receive it, you're going to have power that you haven't had previously. To tell the whole world about me, says Jesus. And you'll know it when you receive it. They're kind of like, well, what's it? Don't worry, Jesus says. You, you'll know it when you receive it. Just wait. So they are. They're just waiting. And then they're praying, and, and then Pentecost comes. And they receive the Holy Spirit. We read about that in that first reading. And so today is, so to speak, the anniversary, and our job today is to spend our time trying to think through what is this gift of the Holy Spirit? Why uh, do they need it so badly? Why do we need it so badly? Uh, why should we seek it? Why is it important? And there's a bunch of different ways that we can answer that question. Um, one really good way to answer that question, what's the significance of the Holy Spirit, is to look at the story of Peter. Peter kind of takes center stage in uh, the book of Acts and on the day of Pentecost. And his story is remarkable. Uh, 53 days before Pentecost, Jesus had been arrested. And the moment Jesus gets arrested, Peter, who had spent years with Jesus, who is perhaps Jesus' most passionate follower, immediately Peter becomes completely ashamed of Jesus. As soon as he's arrested, he denies him three times, and he shows himself to be just, he just falls apart, he just goes to pieces. But then, just 53 days later, Pentecost happened. 
And on Pentecost, Peter is the first one. He stands up, he speaks to a crowd, and the crowd that he's speaking uh, to includes some of the very people who had arranged Jesus' death, some of the very people uh, before whom Peter had been completely ashamed just a few weeks prior to this. But nevertheless, Peter sees a different person. He stands up and he proclaims uh, that Jesus is the Savior of the world, and, and he spends the rest of his life doing that, and then eventually Rome kills him. Now, I say that because we could learn a lot about the Holy Spirit by kind of following the story of Peter and trying to understand what change uh, did the Spirit make in Peter's life. However, today we're going to do something different. Uh, and what we're going to do is we're going to go back to the reading that we've been in these last five weeks, and we're going to look at this story of Jesus and the Samaritan woman again. And here's why. Months, maybe years, before Pentecost, Jesus gave the disciples an advanced screening, so to speak. He, he gave the disciples, in this story of, of Jesus and the Samaritan woman, he gave them an advanced screening of the gift of the Holy Spirit. Because this woman, as this conversation with Jesus unfolds, she experiences something very similar to the transformation that Peter experienced. But he, she experienced it months or maybe years before Peter ever did. And so what we're going to do is we're going to look at this story again. And uh, we want to ask the question, how does Jesus give the Holy Spirit, number one? And secondly, how does the Holy Spirit drive us in mission? How does Jesus give the Holy Spirit? How does the Spirit drive us in mission? Okay, first of all, how does Jesus give the Spirit? Now, uh, think about this story of the uh, Jesus and the Samaritan women. Like I said, we've been in the story for five weeks, so if you've been with us, you'll be really, it'll be familiar to you. But if you back up and look at the big picture of the story, one of the fascinating things is that Jesus opens the conversation and Jesus closes the conversation both by talking about the Holy Spirit. Take a look at what I mean. Um, so look at how Jesus opens the conversation. So uh, Jesus is sitting in a well outside the Samaritan town. The disciples have gone in to get lunch for him and for themselves. And a woman comes to the well. Usually uh, women wouldn't come to the well in the middle of the day. And usually they'd get water at the beginning or at the end. But she's there in the middle, which is interesting. And so it's just the two of them here at this well. And Jesus begins this conversation. First he asks, he asks her for a drink. She's immediately suspicious. They have a little bit of a conversation, and then verse 10 happens. Look at verse 10. Jesus looks at her and says, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that's saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Now, focus then on that living water. What is that all about? At first, she thinks it's talking about like running water, like a plumbing system. That's not what he's talking about. Um, Jesus uses this image of living water all through the Gospel of John. And just three chapters later in John chapter 7, he explains what he means by living water. Listen to what he says. Jesus stood up in a different context and cried out, If anyone's thirsty, let them come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the Scripture says, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now, he said this about the Holy Spirit, whom those who believed in him were about to receive, for as yet the Spirit had not been given because Jesus had not yet been glorified. Now, why that's helpful is it tells us that living water is an image for the Holy Spirit. Now, keep that in mind and bring it back to the Samaritan woman. 
Because here she is, she's suspicious of Jesus. And clearly, she wants to know what Jesus' agenda is. And she has good reason to want to know what Jesus' agenda is, because she had clearly uh, been subjected to the agendas of quite a few men. What do you think Jesus' agenda is for this woman? What is it that Jesus wants for this woman? He wants her to receive the Holy Spirit. He starts the conversation by saying, you're really thirsty for the Holy Spirit. I want to give you the Holy Spirit. But then, not only does he begin the conversation with the Holy Spirit, he also ends the conversation with the Holy Spirit. Glance down to verse 23. The hour is coming, says Jesus. This is, this is almost how he closes it. The hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit, that's the Holy Spirit, and in truth. We talked about this last week. So the point that I want you to see is that he begins the conversation by saying, I want to give you the Holy Spirit, even though she doesn't probably understand what that means yet. And then he closes the conversation by saying, so to speak, you really need the Holy Spirit. The whole conversation is perfect for Pentecost because it's all about the gift that Jesus wants to give us. Now, pause. Let's think about ourselves for a second. Um, what is Jesus' agenda for your life? You ask that question? What is it that Jesus really wants? I mean, he wants all, uh, probably many, many, many things. But what is the main thing that Jesus wants? I mean, all of us are unique. All of us have uh, unique stories. Um, all of us have a kind of unique journey with Jesus. But one of the things that this text teaches us is that whoever you are and whatever your journey is, Jesus wants to give you his Holy Spirit. If you're not a Christian, Jesus wants to give you the, his Holy Spirit for the first time. If you are a Christian, then Jesus wants to uh, intensify the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. He wants to give you more living water. And that's true even if we're not even looking for the Holy Spirit. Even I mean, she's not looking for the Holy Spirit. Even if you don't think, I don't even think I need the Holy Spirit and it's all a bit odd. Nevertheless, what this is teaching us is that Jesus desires for us that we would have the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit would be a living, satisfying, deeply profound reality in our lives. If you only knew, she, he says to her, the gift that I have to give, you would ask and I would give you what it is you most deeply need. And that's what Jesus says to us today. That is a desire that stands consistent. And look back at the conversation because he begins with the Holy Spirit, he ends with the Holy Spirit, but everything in the middle, all the, the whole conversation in the middle is meant to, so to speak, uh, Help her see that she needs the Holy Spirit. So you remember that he brings, Jesus brings up her relational history. She's had five husbands. The man that she's with uh, at the present isn't her husband. Um, why does he bring that up? We talked about this a few weeks ago. Is he trying to shame her? No, he's not trying to shame her. But he is trying to show her it's as if she, he says, those relationships have promised a lot. Every one of them have promised a lot, but they've never delivered. And then Jesus says, I will give you the Holy Spirit, that relationship that deeply, truly satisfies that you've been desiring but never tasted. He brings up this area of 
her relationship past in order to point her to her need for the Holy Spirit. And the same is thing, the same is true in verse 22. Verse 22, Jesus critiques her whole religious tradition. He says, um, you Samaritans, I mean, he's pretty bold, you worship what you don't know. Why does he do that? Why does he critique her whole religious tradition? Is he just trying to win a partisan debate? No. It's as if he's saying, listen, your religion has promised a lot, but it hasn't delivered. The Holy Spirit, however, delivers. And I will give you love, the capacity to worship that is greater than your capacity to desire it. Here's the point. Jesus, in this teaching, he's pointing her from her need to the Holy Spirit. He's pointing her from her uh, misconceptions about who God is, from that to the Holy Spirit. And it's all to prepare the ground so that she can receive the Holy Spirit. And when Jesus is teaching us and challenging us, that's what he's doing too. He's preparing us to receive the Holy Spirit. Now, I could imagine somebody coming back and saying, okay, okay, well, whatever. But I'm confused. I'm still confused, Jim. Because I could imagine somebody saying, uh, okay, you're talking about the Holy Spirit, that Jesus wants to give the Holy Spirit, but what in the world are you talking about with the Holy Spirit? What does the Holy Spirit do? How do you know if you have the Holy Spirit? Great question. Look at verse 25 and 26. The woman says, um, she's confused too, right? And she says, yeah, I don't know what you're talking about, but when the Messiah comes, the Messiah is going to make it all clear. And then verse 26, Jesus says to her, I who speak to you am he. Now, we've talked about this before. This is the big reveal, right? This is when Jesus says in a far more explicit way than he does almost anywhere else, he says, I'm the Messiah. I'm the one you've been looking for. Now, that is exactly what the Holy Spirit does. What are you talking about, Jim? Let me explain. The Holy Spirit's job, the Holy Spirit does many things, but the fundamental thing that the Holy Spirit does is the Holy Spirit unveils who Jesus is for us. The Holy Spirit makes us see the truth about who Jesus is, who Jesus claims himself to be, and the reality of it. But then the Holy Spirit also enables us to see the beauty of who Jesus is, so that we are utterly, deeply captivated by him. Now, I take this from uh, a few chapters later in uh, the Gospel of John, chapter, verse, uh, chapter 16. Jesus describes, he's talking to the disciples, he describes the uh, gift of the Holy Spirit, and he says, the Holy Spirit is going to take what's mine and declare it to you. And part of the idea is that the Holy Spirit works in our minds so that Jesus comes into focus, just like happened for this woman. You're the Messiah. The Holy Spirit brings Jesus into focus, but also the Holy Spirit works in our hearts so that on the one hand, we mentally grasp who it is that Jesus is, but then also at the same time in our hearts, we affectionately embrace him. What I mean is we find ourselves trusting him. And that trust grows into love. And then that love grows into loyalty. So we find ourselves preferring Jesus even over ourselves. And then that loyalty, trusting Jesus more than we even trust ourselves, uh, grows into obedience so that we want to obey him. We want to follow him, not because we were afraid he's, he's looking at us with this big, long, bony finger saying, you better, but rather because we love him. The Spirit makes us captivated by Jesus. And that's why I say, when Jesus told this woman, I'm the Messiah, 
He was giving her, not the full thing, but a kind of advanced screening of what he was going to give the whole church on Pentecost. He was giving her a kind of advanced screening of of what the Holy Spirit does in every single Christian. So, let me bring it back to us. Let me ask you a question. How captivated are you by Jesus Christ? The answer to that question will tell you, will give you an insight into the work of the Spirit in your life. So that's how Jesus gives the Holy Spirit. He gives the Holy Spirit so that we can see who he is and become captivated by him, and it changes us from the inside out. But then look, secondly, at how the Spirit drives us in mission. Look at the difference it makes in her life. So Jesus is unveiled before her. I'm the Messiah, and she's captivated by Jesus. She gets this kind of appetizer of Pentecost, appetizer of the Spirit, and then what does she do? What does she do? Do you see it? She runs. She runs to her village. Now, and it's very clear, John gives this wonderful uh, uh, comment that she leaves her water bottle at the well. She went there to get water. She went there because she's thirsty. It's an important part of her day, but she leaves it. She's not thinking about the water anymore because she's tasted a better kind of water. And then she runs right back into her village. Now, remember... She has had five husbands, and the man she's living with presently is not her husband. This is an honor-shame culture. So her relationship history means that her whole village, uh, she can't live in that village without a certain degree of shame, which might be why it is that she went not in the morning to get water, not in the evening to get water, but in the middle of the day so that she could be there at the well, alone, at lunch, safe from shaming eyes. But she's not worried about that anymore. And she runs right back into the village because her shame is no longer her dominant concern. She's not even primarily thinking about herself. She has been captivated by Jesus and she's tasted the beginning of the Holy Spirit. And so she runs back to the very people who have previously shamed her and she says, come, come with me. Come see a man who's told me everything I've ever done. Can he be the Christ? Do you want to experience this unveiling of who Jesus is? Come on. And what's fascinating to me is that when she does that, she's not denying her past. She's not even ignoring her past. She's just no longer primarily defined by it. Rather, her past has become a backdrop to the real story, and the real story is Jesus. Now, that's a sign of the infilling of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit's job is to spotlight Jesus. The Spirit works in our hearts and says, look at Jesus. Can you see his beauty? He's everything you've ever wanted. He's everything you've ever desired, and you've tried to fill it with other things, but it never works. But it will. he will fill you and satisfy you in ways that you never have before. Look at him. And then when you're looking at him and saying, yes, I see him, I see him, then what happens is inevitably and quite naturally you want to do That same thing for other people. You want to go out and find other people and say, can you see Jesus like I can see him? Can I describe him to you? He'll captivate you like he's captivated me. The Spirit captivates us with Jesus and then uses us as he captivates other people with Jesus. That's mission. And look at the impact. Verse 39. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. Her background, her her past becomes background 
for Jesus. And then look at verse 42, 42. They said, to the, this, they said to the woman after speaking with Jesus for a while, it's no longer because of what you've said that we believe, for we have heard ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. Breaking down all partisan expectations of that moment, what happened is the Spirit showed this woman Jesus, and then the Spirit shows Jesus to others through her story. And they become captivated by Jesus too. And it, on it goes. And that is the great privilege of being a Christian missionary. It's the great privilege of being filled with the Holy Spirit. See, Jesus loves to give us his spirit. And when he does, we'll be captivated by him and we'll want to share him with others. This is a wonderful story about the very first, one of the very first missionaries. And speaking of missionaries, do you notice what the disciples are doing this whole time? They're just thinking about lunch. The whole time. So they go to get lunch. They come back. They look at Jesus and they're like, Jesus, you're talking to the wrong ethnic group and the wrong person. Like, she's a woman. She's, ah, what's happening? And they don't know what to do. And then they're like, they, they just say, well, let's just talk about lunch. And so, so they say, Jesus, you should eat. It, they don't get it. They're clueless. Completely lost on it. And you know what Jesus does with them? He starts the same conversation that he had with the woman. He starts it with the disciples. What I mean is, he began the conversation with the woman by saying, I have better water than the water you can get from this well. And then, when she runs into the village, he turns to the disciples and he said, I've had food you don't know about. Which is to say, I have better food than you can buy in town. I have better food than the lunch you've gotten for me. He's beginning the same conversation with them. He doesn't end it. But it's almost as if Jesus says, disciples, I've had a big conversation with this woman. It's great. I've given her a taste of living water. I've given her a taste of the Holy Spirit. And watch her go. Look, can you see her? I know, she's out of sight. She's gone into town. She's going to do your job, by the way. Um, so you're welcome. <laughs> And then it's as if Jesus, the subtext is, he looks at the disciples and, and he says, disciples, you and I are going to have to have the same conversation. Uh, it, it was about a 30-minute conversation for this woman. It's going to take about three years for you, but <laughs> we'll get there. And then Jesus says, it, but this, even what you've just seen right now, beautiful as it is, is just the advanced training. When Pentecost comes, you're going to taste the full thing. You're going to taste and experience and see the main show. And that's exactly how it happened. It took about three years. Jesus taught his disciples. Just like he does with this woman, he challenges them and calls them to repentance. Just like he does with this woman, he, he, he corrects their faulty thinking about who God is. And then they watch Jesus die and rise again and ascend to the Father. They watch Jesus do everything that they couldn't pull off, Jesus does on their behalf. And then he tells them to wait, because the story of Christianity is always what God does for us, not first what we do for God. And so they just sit here waiting, and then Pentecost happened for them. And just like this woman, they were captivated by Jesus. They spoke in different tongues and all of those things, but the message was they were proclaiming the mighty works of God, which was Jesus. And just like this woman, their shame 
Peter's shame and all the rest of them, their shame was swallowed up in love. And just like this woman, they couldn't keep their mouth shut. They opened it so much so that they spoke of a bunch of different languages they didn't otherwise know. But the whole point is just like this woman, they told the people who they had previously feared that Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world. And they spent the rest of their life doing it. That's the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's the gift that Jesus wants to give Emmanuel. Let's give you this gift. And I can imagine somebody coming back and saying, now, Jim, hang on. Do you honestly, are you going to tell me that I need to have a Pentecostal in filling? Uh, to which I respond, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Did you think I would say otherwise? The thing is, when the Holy Spirit breaks into our lives, very often the Spirit uh, it doesn't, doesn't meet our expectations. So the Spirit's always surprising. Sometimes uh, the Holy Spirit works in our hearts in a very gradual, slow way, like, like the sun coming up on a clouding day. This, this morning, the sun came up. I, I didn't know the moment it came up, but, but after a while I knew the sun was up because I could see everything. And that's sometimes how the Spirit works, slowly but powerfully captivating us with Jesus Christ. Is that what the Lord's doing for you? And then there's other times when the Holy Spirit works like lightning. And it's unexpected, and it's instant, and it's undeniable. And there's a before, and there's an afterwards. If you read, you can read story after story of people who can point to a minute. Before that minute, they were one person, and after the minute, they were someone else. And they're beautiful. And we would be fools not to ask God to do a similar work in our lives. But even when the Holy Spirit works in that intense, instant way that we, is undeniable, nevertheless, God's always still in it for the long haul. Uh, the life in the Spirit is never just about uh, momentary ecstatic experiences, as wonderful as those can be, can be. Rather, the life in the Spirit is of eternal duration. It's a marathon. It includes the whole of the life of following Jesus. The Spirit leads us to Jesus Christ, and we come to him, and we see him on the cross doing everything for us, what we cannot do for ourselves, and purchasing for us uh, salvation, forgiveness, pardon, adoption, all of those things. And as you look at Jesus, you see your sin, and you stop loving it, and you want to lay it down. Not because you're ashamed, but because you're captivated by Jesus. And then you sense and taste the pleasure of being a child of God. And then you want to pick up your cross and follow Jesus in obedience and faith, setting yourself aside and all of your rights because you find something better to live for than yourself. And then you walk with Jesus, and at times it's painful, and you weep in the Spirit, and you rejoice in the Spirit, and you yearn for what you do not have yet in the Spirit, and you long for heaven. But in the end of the day, what you find as you walk over the years with Jesus is that he is more faithful than you ever dreamed he would be, and that life in the Spirit, when you look at the big story, is more satisfying than you ever anticipated. And then when we get home to heaven, we'll find that it is infinitely more intense but in another way, we've already began to taste it. And on the way, we get to point other people to Jesus. And friends, there is no greater joy than that. 
So let's ask for the Holy Spirit.